The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash earnings right now. netsuite.com slash earnings. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. My rent went up because of my income. Well, I know rent in general have gone up in the last few years. It's just been outrageous. I work with a vulnerable population and I, I deal with rents that they have to deal with. It's been extremely hard. It's the Big Take from Bloomberg News and iHeartRadio. I'm Wes Kosova. Today, people all over are struggling to afford their rent. How did it get so high? Inflation means the price of everything is going up. But it's a good bet your rent has risen even faster in the past few years. And not just in cities like New York, where it's always been crazy. Rent increases are far outpacing wages for many people in the U.S. and around the world. It slowed down there for a bit during the thick of the pandemic, but then it came roaring back. Why is this happening? And is there any relief in sight? My Bloomberg colleague Prashant Gopal reports on real estate, and he joins me now from Boston. Prashant, thanks for being here. Great to be here. Prashant, I think the quickest way to lose an hour of your time is to go up to somebody and say, so how do you feel about your rent? <laughs> Everyone seems to be complaining that their rent is so much higher than it used to be. We used to think about New York and San Francisco, other big cities, uh, hear the amazing stories about how much people were paying. But now... Medium-sized cities, small towns, rent is just crazy high. Exactly why is that, and how did this happen? Yeah, well, you know, part of it is that the for-sale market got so hot, especially during the past few years during the pandemic. So a lot of people couldn't buy, and so that meant that relatively wealthy people, people who are wealthy enough to purchase, were sort of shoved back into the rental market, which became a really crowded place. So you ended up with like the kind of rent growth that we've never seen in this country before. I mean, typically rents go up maybe a few percentage points a year or something like that. But we were like seeing double digit growth in all over the country, not just in the land of Wall Street and Silicon Valley. This was happening in the heartland. One of our colleagues, Alex Tanzi, recently wrote a story that said that more than half of renters reported that their rent had gone up by $1,200 or more in the last year alone. Yeah, that's nuts. I mean, I, I've done stories throughout this, and I remember just talking to people during the worst of it. It wasn't so long ago, maybe a year, year ago or so. They were struggling, you know, in Florida, for example. People were just struggling to even to find a place to live. And Florida was a place where you could usually find a place for a reasonable amount of money outside of, say, like Miami and Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. 
was one of the appeals of, you know, living down in Florida, right? I mean, so these people were getting on waiting lists, like one after the other, and they would have to pay kind of a application fee each time. And they were racking up, you know, maybe $1,000 or more sometimes in application fees just to have an opportunity to potentially have an apartment. They mean, you know, <laughs> I, I guess the landlords in those cases were pocketing that money, but it was a huge mess. Prashant, while we were talking through this episode, our producer Zenob said that a friend of hers living in Brooklyn was going through this very thing. So she gave him a ring, and here's what he had to say. My name is Naong Tenzin, and I am from Queens. I currently live in uh, Bushwick. Since I moved into this apartment during the pandemic, I like got the pandemic discount that a lot of people were also getting. And it was one of those situations where it was like, uh, the rent is initially it was 26, but we're going to give you one month off. So it sort of came down to like 24 or something. So that's what we signed on 24 initially. <laughs> After a year of living here, um, we got the new like lease with updated rent. And then the landlord basically hiked it up all the way up to 29. Yeah. So we were just like, that is a lot of money. I like grew up in like a very like poor immigrant family where we still sort of like it's like it's like hard to pay rent you know and yeah i mean there's just a lot of people that are coming in that can't afford to stay here and then it's ultimately the people that just have to move so you talked about how people who would have bought a house but couldn't because of the financial squeeze during covid uh stuck with rentals and that kind of lowered the supply what are some of the other reasons that have caused this? Because the increase in rent over, say, the last 10 years has so far outpaced wages and even outpaced inflation. Yeah, I mean, like part of this is the fact that we've had a lot of construction more recently, but we've had a lack of home construction in America for a long time, you know, of all kinds. So it just hasn't kept up with what's needed. The other thing is that a lot of the construction we did have was sort of focused on the wealthier people. And there really hasn't been very much built for the people who really need it. There's that. There's also this idea that, you know, people were leaving their parents' basements and roommate situations and striking out on their own. And you also had this kind of demographic boom, right, of young people all seeking, you know, to begin their lives. There was just a lot of demand. And and then let's throw one more thing on top of it, which is COVID, right? And COVID kind of lit a fire under people. It wasn't just that people were rushing to buy homes in the suburbs. People were just rushing to make changes of all kinds. And that could be just, you know, finding a job elsewhere, somewhere cheaper, you know, in Phoenix or Tampa or, you know, Austin is not very cheap anymore, but it's cheap, you know, if you li were living in New York. So a lot of these moves really added to that demand. There's a perception I hear it a lot from people that landlords are taking advantage of what you're describing here, that there is a shortage of supply and there's an increase in demand to raise rents much higher than they, you know, ordinarily could have. And there's a certain amount of gouging going on, just people opportunistically raising rents because what are people going to do? Is that something that you actually see bearing out in data or is that just something people kind of suspect? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, these kinds of rent increases are, are just astronomical. I mean, some of them, they look like mistakes, you know, like 
30, 40% increases in places like Austin and just these are crazy. And, and these are sort of the bulk of these increases are going to be actually for new leases, not for existing leases. But people who even had renewals were seeing crazy jumps and it was shocking to them, right? But they didn't have much of a choice because where are they going to go? Another thing that seems to be contributing to this is real estate companies, sometimes financial institutions, buying up a lot of rental property simply to make money on it in a way that hasn't been done before. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of the institutionalization of the American housing market, right? This really was a byproduct of the great financial crisis and the massive housing crash and foreclosure wave that we experienced starting in 2007 or so. And you ended up with just a whole lot of distressed properties. And, you know, like White Knights, private equity firms showed up starting around 2012, and they kind of hoovered up all these foreclosed properties that were sitting vacant and in disrepair, often bank-owned. And they kind of got the housing market moving again because they bought those properties up and turned them into rentals which is a new thing. You had a sort of a whole new class here. You had mom and pop landlords in the past that had owned single family homes, but you never had sort of institutional players that were doing this. They were, they bought apartment buildings, not sort of scattered site, single family rentals. So by doing this, they actually allowed home prices to start rising. But what happened is they did this so aggressively in some places that they ended up kind of getting rid of a lot of the homes that might have been affordable to first-time buyers. And you ended up with this severe shortage of housing. So it was the opposite problem. And prices just kept growing, building off of the shortage. And it got worse and worse and worse and worse over 10 years. I see here in Washington, D.C., seen in New York, Chicago, a lot of other cities, a lot of construction of rental apartments to meet this demand. And yet they seem to be really expensive apartments. The rents are really, really high in these places. Who do they think is going to afford them? Because people are already struggling to pay existing rents. Is there demand for these really expensive places? The issue now is that there's a ton of high-end construction of multifamily homes. It might be the highest in at least 10 years, that rental homes that will deliver this year, right? And these were homes that were built before inflation took off and when there was a lot of demand, and now things kind of changed once they were already committed? Kind of like a giant, like cruise, turning around a giant cruise ship. You know, they have to make decisions like so far in advance, so they can't pivot very easily. People believed that there would be no end to this kind of boom in rental demand because people had to live somewhere, right? So even if the for sale market weakened, that, that would only be good news for rentals because, yeah, more people would be renting. But I think a lot of people are just kind of not leaving their apartments. They're staying in place, you know? And one reason that's happened is because where are they going to move? So if they move somewhere else, there's now such a what they were charging for these new leases for, you know, empty apartments is so much higher than what you'd pay if you just stayed put. So a lot of people just stayed put. The other thing is that a lot of people are, are nervous about the economy. So when you're nervous, you don't really want to make big moves, right? So there's that. There's also the fact that 
the cost of everything has gone up, you know, from groceries to commuting to everything else. So for renters, their budgets are squeezed. And again, that's another reason to kind of not make a big move. Prashant, please stay with me. We'll talk about what renters can expect in the year ahead after the break. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Krishan, we're talking about the U.S. rental market, but rents are high all over the world. Our producer in London went out to hear what people there had to say. So our rent was up in October. Okay. So we rented for a year, and then they were like trying to increase it by 34%. And we were like, come on, we've been here for a while. You know us. Please, half it. And then we did. So it, like, it turned out not too bad, I guess. So I'm from Greece, and I rent here in London. But I mean, like, I'm a landlord as well. I mean, I would raise my rents. I mean, of course, absolutely. The students I'm living with, they're on like 18K a year. So if it increased, yeah. there's no way we could collectively afford it at all. Like, we're on the brink right now, so, yeah. Subsistence living rather than saving. I think they're all doing, well, it seems like they're all doing the bare minimum. I get that kind of vibe from all the landlords I've lived with. So they just do the least they can because they know that there's high demand for property here. Prashant, so you've spelled out this, you know, pretty challenging situation for renters. I think in real life, people are really feeling what you're describing. Is there any relief in sight? Yes. Great news for renters. <laughs> this uh, 2023 may be their year. Landlords have a problem all of a sudden, which is that there's a ton of multifamily construction underway. And a lot of these units will deliver this year. And these tend to be middle or high-end units in places like Seattle and Austin and Atlanta, but also in the suburbs and in the middle of nowhere. There's just a ton of construction of all kinds, you know, maybe a larger amount than we've seen in many, many years. And then on top of that, you have landlords who are going to have to start dropping their rents in general because their tenants are going to start bolting and looking for other opportunities. So as rents go down elsewhere and the market starts to become a little more competitive, it's going to be the landlords who have to be more competitive as opposed to buyers being... Exactly. 
Yes. So it's a real turnaround. Some cities have required that new construction set aside a certain amount of housing for people who have lower incomes. Has that helped at all? What do we see happening there? This is sort of the market solution to the problem, which is that you require, like, if you're going to build something, you have to include a percentage that would be affordable. The trouble there is, you know, it just sort of gives an incentive for the landlord to actually boost the rents for every other unit to sort of make up for it. So I'd say the jury is out, but that is sort of a major way that they've been trying to do it. There's also like various kinds of subsidies, right? The low-income housing tax credits and things like that. So you end up with a lot of, not enough, let's say, not enough affordable housing. So I think it's really hard for people on the lower end of the spectrum right now to find a place to live. And that leads to instability. People, you know, living in a, you know, illegal apartment in a basement or, or crowding in way too many people or living in their car or, you know, in a tent or in a homeless shelter. This is sort of the result. And we're already seeing the data show that rent collections, whereas you're not seeing this for moderate or higher income rentals, people are paying their rent. But on the lower end of the spectrum, the rent collections have have dropped in the last couple of years. Meaning that people just aren't able to afford to pay their rent. Exactly. And do you think that the relief you describe happening at the high and the middle part of the market in the coming year will also bring some relief at the lower end of the market? It takes time because, you know, the way this works is like you build a high-end unit and then 10 years later, it's not such a great unit anymore. And then that moves to the moderate. And then eventually, you know, 30 years down the line, that's subsidized housing or whatever. You know, I'm making up the time frame there, but it doesn't happen instantly. So there may be some help, right? But it, it's not enough. I mean, we were just talking earlier about how people saying that rents went up 1200 bucks last year. Do you think a year from now we're going to see the story that says people say their rents went down meaningfully? I think so. Yeah. I really hate predicting the future because, you know, as we've learned <laughs> during these past few years that we always tend to be wrong. With all this construction happening, it does seem like there has to be a change, right? And if the economy turns south, that would only make that more true because if people start losing jobs, you know, people can't afford these sky-high rents. They just went up way too fast. So in a way, the landlords are to blame for allowing the rents to get as high as they did, right? Because it means that they have further to fall. Prashanko Paul, thanks so much for talking with me today. All right, thank you. After the break, what's happening in the rest of the world? Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. 
Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. My colleague, Neil Callanan, joins me now from London. He's going to give us a broader look at turmoil in all kinds of real estate all over the world. Neil, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Ryan. It's good to join you. So, Neil, we've been talking about rents and how it's difficult for people to afford housing in a lot of parts of the world. You have written a story that takes a big step back and looks across real estate markets, in particular commercial real estate markets. Can you first just start by telling us, when we're talking about the commercial real estate market, what are we talking about? We're talking about everything that's not a house that you own effectively. So you can actually include multifamily in some jurisdictions in that. So if you live in an apartment block, that can be actually classified as a commercial building. But for most people, it's the office they go to. It's the shops that they go to. It's the strip mall that they stop off at on the way home. And it's those assets that combine with housing make actually property the biggest asset in the world. And, you know, you've been talking about rental housing and the cost of rents and people struggling with that. Part of that comes out of the global financial crisis when the credit crunch meant that people built fewer houses and a lot of home builders and multifamily developers went bust. So there was a kind of shortage of house building during the bad times. That didn't apply everywhere. And in fact, in some countries like China, obviously, there was a huge amount of house building, mainly aimed at buyers. And now we're going to start to see the outfall of that because a lot of the valuations and a lot of the house prices that people have paid, and this also goes for the office blocks and the shopping malls and so forth, are based off low interest rates. And so once the cost of paying that loan goes up, then the values start to fall because nobody else is willing to pay what you paid for it. And this is the pain that we're starting to see come true now. And in many cases, it won't come true in data until the second half of the year, particularly for the bank lending books. But already, for example, you're seeing commercial property values in the UK down about 17%. In the US, they're down about 15%. They may go another 10% this year. So we're seeing big, big value declines uh, starting to come true in the property market. And you've taken a look at the property market around the world, and it seems that there really is this global trend, that there are very few bright spots when you look around at what's happening with property. It's bad out there. You know, malls have had a really, really tough time for a few years. That's going to continue. Just seemed like they were starting to get back on their feet last year. And then obviously uh, interest rates rose so much that in many cases they made them uninvestable. And then office blocks, the work from home trend, that's really, really, really hitting office values. 
in the tech cities in particular, so from Dublin to San Francisco and in London as well to an extent, but then mainly it's the kind of like secondary offices by which we mean like lower quality ones in not the best locations where maybe they were struggling to find a tenant in the first place and maybe they don't, the company hasn't been growing very quickly. Those are the buildings that values where really you're going to see distress, not just pain, but actually distress starting to come true. And is all of this happening now just as a result of the general global downturn and kind of the end of cheap money? Yeah, I mean, for real estate, it's a real double whammy, right? Because, you know, typically when you're going into a recession, central banks react by cutting interest rates, which kind of like allows you to kick the can down the road a bit because you don't really have to act. Now you have massive inflation meets economic downturn meets central banks who want to push rates forward to bring inflation down. So their priority is no longer the borrowers and the holders of capital. Their priority is inflation. And it's as simple as that. And the cost of living has to come down. And that means real estate's going to suffer. And so this is a pretty unique set of circumstances. The other thing you're going to see is actually a slump in transactions. So we have to wait for what's called seller capitulation. The sellers still think their building's worth, let's say, 100 million because it was worth 100 million last year. The buyer, because there's far less of them and they can't borrow as much, is sitting there going, well, I actually think your building's worth 70, 80. And so we have to wait for the seller to almost give up. And that's going to be the next trend that comes true. And that's how you start getting what we call price discovery, which is when you start to see what something's really worth as opposed to what it's theoretically worth. And that's when some of the banks will start to suffer. Now, it's worth saying the banks have been much more responsible this time than in the build up to the global financial crisis. Their loan to values on most of the commercial real estate is in the 50s. So you'd have to see a pretty big value decline in order to hit that. So a lot of the cases, it's actually the equity holders, which in many cases are our pension funds. They're going to be feeling the impact of this coming up in the next year. In the UK, for example, I think you write that housing prices are as much as 20% overvalued. Yeah, and what we're starting to see is price falls as a result of that. So it's starting to finally come true into the data that house prices have been overvalued. They have been buoyed by low interest rates, particularly to try and save the economy during the pandemic. I actually saw something yesterday that said house prices in London and the southeast of England, which is the areas around London effectively, are 40% overvalued. Now, I don't think anybody's saying that there's going to be a 40% decline, but certainly that area looks very vulnerable going forward. And I think one of the global trends you're going to see is the countries that were the winners of the last downturn that came out of it in the best shape are going to be the losers this time round because maybe they didn't need interest rates to be as low as they were. So, you know, in China, we've already seen mortgage holders boycotting, um, pay- making payments while apartment blocks uh, halted instruction. House prices in Sydney are falling at the fastest rate and record. In Canada, Toronto's just had its worst run ever. Sweden, I mean, the house price decline there is unbelievable, nearly 18%, about 18% in just a few months. When you look down the road, how do you see all this playing out? Right now, there's a lot of people who are upside down or in distress. Where does it go from here? Yeah, I think the market will go to a downturn until such time as 
basically prices reset at a level that makes sense for the borrowing environment that we're in. So it's got to go to a level where you can afford to pay your mortgage, basically, if you're a homeowner. And that might sound simplistic, but if your interest rates have gone up and the Fed raised interest rates at the fastest pace on record, and you can afford to pay, let's say, 25%, 30% of your post-tax income, it's basically got to go to a level that reflects that. And in some cases, that means 25 to 40% price falls in order that people can afford these. Otherwise, you have to wait, hold on to it, maybe rent it out, what we call accidental landlords. So you actually don't want to be a landlord, but you can't afford to get rid of your place. So you kind of hold on to it and rent until the market comes back. Um, you know, I'm Irish and we, we basically had people to do this for 15 years. It took 15 years for the market to recover. Um, and we may end up in a situation like that where lots and lots of people are holding on to property they can't afford to get rid of. Um, I do think the banks are in better shape. I do think there will be a shakeout there but it won't be anywhere near as bad as the financial crisis. What's interesting is um, for the banks is that a lot of what are called stage two loans, which is kind of a very boring jargony term that basically means the loan's starting to get a bit in trouble, but it's not in proper trouble yet. The level of increase of that in Europe in the last year has been the fastest on record. So that suggests that the banks see some trouble coming down the tracks and they're getting ready and preparing for that. Neil Callanan, thanks so much for talking with me today. Thank you, Matt. You can read more from Prashant Paul and Neil Callanan on Bloomberg.com. Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Read today's story and subscribe to our daily newsletter at Bloomberg.com slash Big Take. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us with questions or comments to bigtake at Bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of The Big Take is... Vicky Bergolina. Our senior producer is... Catherine Fink. Our producer is... Federica Romagnello. And associate producer is... Zenab Siddiqui. Hilda Garcia. Is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidrin. I'm Wes Kosova. Have a great weekend. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, it's Sarah Holder, host of Big Take. I want to tell you about a new podcast and video series you're not going to want to miss, The Deal, co-hosted by Yankees legend Alex Rodriguez. Every week, A-Rod and Bloomberg reporter Jason Kelly speak with big-time athletes, entertainers, and executives like Maria Sharapova, Michael Strahan, Derek Jeter, and more. The deal takes you behind the scenes into the world of sports, media, and entertainment, and dives into the wins, losses, and lessons learned along the way. From Bloomberg Podcasts and Bloomberg Originals, you can listen to The Deal on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch on Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Originals on YouTube.